Good evening. We did say we'd be shaking things up a wee bit, so we've got to talk straight away, um, basically. Um, so you're going to have to bear me with me a wee bit on this intro. So do you know what I think is such a laugh to watch? Babies eating yogurts. Did say you'd have to bear with me. They're so, so bad at it. But what I do think this is good for is giving us a picture for evangelism. See, on a baby's first introduction to food, we'd never dream of giving them a roast dinner to start with, would we? Yet, whenever we think about evangelism, I think often our minds jump straight away to this big gospel presentation straight away. And maybe in our thinking on evangelism, and Marty's done a brilliant job explaining this in our training, we do well to just start with the basic stuff. Start with just a yogurt. It's not all the nutrition that they need, but it's a start. And maybe you're just developing a relationship, and that's good. And along the way, you'll maybe learn what they're just going to bat away. And you'll see times where maybe they take on a little bit, and the rest just has not gone in at all. But as we do it, we live by faith that for those God has called before the foundation of the world, They'll come to want all he has to offer in Christ. The roast dinner, if you will. So my first point is to love your neighbor by getting to know them. When it comes to evangelism, I think often we can be quite pessimistic about it. Like no one would ever respond positively. That nobody's interested and our friends and family might never come to faith. Yet as we chat about this uh, in our evangelism training, that wasn't what most of our conversations seemed to go like. And it's not how the Bible portrays it either. In Luke chapter 10, verse 2, which should be on the screen, Jesus says, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Often we act like the laborers are plenty, but the harvest is few. But that's not what the text says here. The text, it calls us to go. It calls us to pray for our brothers and sisters to go and to go into a field which is ready to be harvested. So what does that look like then for us? Well, I think for a start, it looks like getting to know people. When we think of evangelism, we often, as I mentioned, just think straight away of that gospel presentation. But the way Paul talks about loving people is to share not only the gospel of God, but also our lives as well. We encounter so many people nowadays that actually I think it can be quite difficult um, to ever get beyond that surface level. And so what I think might be helpful um, in getting to know people is to be a regular. To be a regular. Go to the same shop to get your paper, and as you do it, ask the cashier how their day's doing. How their day's going, sorry. Keep going to the same barber or the same hairdresser and build that relationship with them. And as we maybe come into this brighter weather and the grass maybe needs cut, ask your neighbor even if they'd like theirs done while you have the lawnmower out. Or drop them around some scones, stop to chat to them while they're outside. Get to know them. And what I want to say is that we can do all of this, getting to know people, without any fear that it won't end up in this amazing gospel conversation. Because we're called to love our neighbors anyway. It's the second greatest commandment. As Christians, we're meant to go out and to be a blessing to the people around us anyway. And evangelism can be pretty daunting, I think, uh, if, we, uh, if we think that we have to get to this place with everyone that we're ever in contact with. 
but that's just not realistic, sure it isn't. Invest in a few, get to know their names, their passions, their loves, their insecurities, and be irregular with them. Evangelism, uh, I was reading this week, is a team sport. And if we can go out and get to really know a few people, God will use us in various ways as we step into that harvest, which he tells us is plentiful. Love your neighbor by getting to know them. And secondly then, love your neighbor by sharing Christ. So as we do this, as we start to get to know people, would we be people that pray that those conversations would go deeper than just that? In Colossians 4, uh, verse 3, Paul asks the church to pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ. Pray you'd get an opportunity to share the gospel because we can show no greater love than to share the gospel with them and to give them an opportunity to come to know Jesus. And notice as well that Paul is actually asking the church to do this for them. He's saying for the church to pray for them. And so whoever you consider a friend in this church, write their name down in your prayer list for the week and pray that they would get this opportunity. These doors would open for them to share Christ uh, with the people they're in contact with. It may just be part of the gospel or maybe you'll get to share the whole, uh, the whole thing. Um, but pray that they would get there. Um, in their relationships and pray that that would be the case for your relationships too. Pray that we'd get to declare the mystery of Christ to those whom it's still a mystery to. And then finally, love your neighbor by praying for them. I should have said at the start, this is going to be extremely short because our panel will take up most of the time. So this is the final point. Ask that God would reveal that mystery. In 1 Corinthians 3 verse 6, Paul says, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. We sow and we water seeds of gospel truth, but trust God to make it grow. We can't do any saving by ourselves. We have this ministry by God's mercy and we give him thanks for that, to be part of people's journey uh, coming to faith. But only God can save them. And so love your neighbor by praying for them. Now, I highly doubt that I've said anything mind-blowing or anything just totally, which has um, really made you think, ah, oh, finally understand evangelism now. But the whole point is that evangelism can be pretty normal. And we trust in a God who can do extraordinary things through our very normal and faithful efforts. So who can you be a regular with? Who can you get to know that little bit better? And how might you share something of Jesus with them? Pray that those doors would open up and pray that God would bring them to save in faith. Let me pray um, now with us. Father, we thank you so much for the relationships uh, and the connections that we already have. Uh, and Father, I just pray that you would very much deepen those. Uh, I pray that we would be people who are regular um, in the shops, in our hairdressers, uh, in our tennis clubs, in our football teams, wherever it may be. Uh, and Father, I pray that we really do get to know people. I pray that as we build those relationships, we would be a blessing to others, that they would see something of your love as we interact with them. But Father, more than that, we pray that those relationships would go deeper. We pray that as we start talking about our lives and what's happening in our families, that they would start to ask questions. And Father, that it would give us an opportunity to say just how much of a difference that you make in our lives. Father, we pray that those people that we come in contact with would come with questions, 
that they would come and ask us what difference our faith makes, that they would come and ask us what is it that we actually believe in. And Father, would we be bold to take those opportunities and do it with a joy knowing that this is a message which transforms lives. And so Father, we pray that as we do step into those opportunities that you would bring some of those people to save in faith. We thank you that this is an open invitation and so would we share it boldly and would we share it joyfully and would you give us the words to say in those moments. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Am I working? I am. Good. So about a week and a half ago, Scott texted me and said, uh, I've got this great idea. I'd love to just run it past somebody. Would you pop around for a coffee and I'll just bounce ideas off you? And I was like, absolutely. And the next thing I know, I uh, drafted in and I'm here. So if you don't know who I am, I'm Andy. Uh, I've been coming along to Ravenhill for ooh, a year and a half now, nearly two years. Um, and I'm helping out Scott with this great idea. So I'm emceeing the, the panel tonight. First thing we're going to do is we're going to get some of these guys to introduce themselves. Uh, uh, we recognize the guy on the far right, so we'll leave him to last. So, Peter, you got that right? Yeah. Can you introduce yourself? Is the pack on? Oh. Is the pack on? Is you, it? I think you need to switch. Press the button. Peter's been on a podcast about evangelism, so he should be an expert, so we'll see what he says. Well, I, I, was, I was asking other people questions, so I'm not used to answering them, but yes, it's on uh, Is he working? Is it working? You're working? 100%. You're working? Great. Yes. I am Peter. I'm from Warringstown Presbyterian Church, which is just down outside lovely Lurgan. So that's where I've come from tonight. Okay. Angela, you want to give us? Uh, am I working? Yeah. Uh, well, I'm Angela. And uh, now it's just, I just feel like so, so inadequate now that Peter's doing a podcast on evangelism. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so... Uh, I don't know what I, I don't know what I'm doing here, Andy. I've just been asked, like Scott, he, I'm blaming it all him. So yeah, I'm part of the staff here. Uh, I'm the women's worker. So yeah, that's that's me. Brilliant, thank you. I mightn't be after tonight now. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see how your answers go. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and Marty, you I'm Marty, and I'm the minister here. <laughs> <laughs> your old news. Okay, so uh, I'm going to fire out the first question. So this is a two-parter. So you can decide if you want to answer both parts or just one. Um, why do you think evangelism is important? And is there a particular passage which motivates your evangelism? So anybody who wants to jump forward. I mean, there is a chance we've all got the same Bible passage because we didn't talk about this. So I might just go first. So that then if you've got the same, you can just say, you know, I copied Marty. I'm joking. Uh, okay, so uh, there's a, a passage that really motivates me. It's in Romans chapter 10. Um, and it says this, and I'll, I'll kind of had a few reasons why it motivates me, but it says this, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then it says, how can they call on one they have not believed in? And how they can believe in one of whom they have not heard? And how they can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. So the, the first thing in that verse is, is the wonderful, amazing, fantastic kind of promise. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So, so there's this idea that as I look at people, anybody in the world, um, you know, God obviously chooses who's saved, but as I look at them with my eyes, I look at people and, and I think any of those people can be saved. They can be saved from facing the wrath of God. 
They can be saved from living life without God. They can be saved from missing out on living life to the full. So, so anybody can be saved. And then it's the challenge, but, but how are they going to be saved? Because to be saved, they need to hear about Christ. They need to hear about the Savior in order to be saved. And how can they hear about the Savior unless someone who knows the Savior tells them? So for me, that, that's a real key verse. Um, it helps me think through, as I, as I look at people, anyone can be saved uh, from a human perspective. Um, and then it encourages me that, that I know the Savior, and so I'm, I, I need to tell them, otherwise they're not going to be able to hear about the one who can actually save them. So for me, that, that's really important. But, but the, the glory of Jesus as well. I mean, Christ has done an amazing thing to rescue people, uh, and, and he gets glory when people hear about it. But also just people are lost and, and need him. So for me, that's my driver. Yeah. Did, uh, do you want to jump, chip in again? Or? Uh, do you, you want to go ahead? Yeah, okay. Uh, well, first of all, why it's important to me is evangelism is important and sharing my faith is important because I probably wouldn't be sitting here myself tonight only for someone sharing their faith with me. And so it was life-changing for me. And I have the same verse of Scripture as Morty. <laughs> And it's so funny because I love that verse uh, that Paul writes, and he's he's writing, he's wanting to for Israel to um, have received the gospel, and also the Gentiles. But uh, I love the verse at the end when he quotes Isaiah, saying, "How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news." And personally, I hate feet; uh, they're <laughs> ugly. But this is the one time that feet are beautiful. And so what a privilege it is for us to bring good news. And it's looked upon as being a beautiful thing to share our faith with others. And I'm so pleased for the day, uh, 33 years ago, that someone shared their faith with me. So that's how it's so important in my life. Brent, thank you. That's great. Anything to add, or are you happy? Yeah, well, yep. there's a verse in Acts chapter 17. We're going through Acts at church. And... Paul, if you know, he keeps getting beat for his faith. He's getting put in prison. And there's a stage in Acts 17, I think it's verses 16. Uh, and he's, he's entered into Athens and the text tells us that his spirit was provoked within him because the city was full of idols. In other words, Paul was so jealous for God's name. He loved the Lord so much that when he seen idols being worshipped and he realized God wasn't getting the honor and the glory that he alone deserves, his spirit was provoked and that enthused him to go out and to preach the gospel. Uh, so hit the cause of the gospel was what engaged Paul's heart, and I want the heart of Paul in that. And also what Marty and Angela both mentioned, it's a love for people as well, and how we love people is well, we want them to be happy, and we have an opportunity to show them how to be infinitely satisfied in Christ forever. So let's point them towards him. So, Brilliant, yeah. thank you. You weren't in our service this morning. That's the passage we looked at. Oh, no, there what's the next so, so there you go. There you go. Great minds. Anyway, so I'm going to fire out another one. So this one's more of an apologetics question. So the, the format would be, um, how would you answer this question if a friend uh, or somebody asked you something like this? And this one I'm going to direct directly at you, Peter. So okay, right. uh, prepare yourself. Okay. Um, how, how can you know Christianity is right out of all of the religions? Yeah, I mean, there's so many avenues that you could go down in the sense of there's historical evidences for the resurrection or if you look at creation you know you see there's a creator like if you've seen a building you know there's a builder and yet creation's far more complex than a builder 
Uh, so there's obviously a creator. But none of those reasons are the reason that I'm a Christian. The reason I'm a Christian is because God in his sovereign mercy has opened my eyes to see the beauty of the Lord Jesus, to see his glory through his word. And that's such a comfort to know that you don't need to go to university for years and years and years and dig into these truths, but rather God can open your eyes and let you see Jesus. When you read his word, it's as if Christ himself walks off the pages into your heart. And I think it was quoted in church this morning. I think it was Charles Spurgeon said it. He said that the word of God is like a lion. You don't need to defend a lion. You just need to let it out. In other words, you just got to bring people towards the word. You got to bring people towards Jesus. And the lion, which is God's word by his spirit, will work in people's hearts. Uh, so, yeah. Brilliant. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, you can text your questions in. Uh, the only text I've got so far is my sister. She's asking what I should get my mum for Mother's Day. So, uh, not going to pitch that to the panel, but um, yeah, feel free to text in uh, if you want to ask any questions. Um, okay, I'm going to pitch this one to Angela. Okay, often people uh, open up when they're going through difficult times. Um, how, have you got any advice for loving and supporting them uh, as a Christian? Um, obviously with all the importance that comes with that, but without coming across as pushy or trying to push your agenda? Well, first of all, when someone opens up to me going through difficult times, I just feel that it's such a privilege for someone to actually do that, to share what they're going through with me. And uh, so what I normally would do is just to listen to them. You know, God gave us two ears and one mouth. And so I would tend to listen to them because they have opened up. They're sharing a difficult period in their life. And I would just try to draw alongside them. If it's practical, maybe, you know, helping them out some way, giving them a lift somewhere or doing something like that. And maybe just, you know, without becoming pushy, but wanting to share my own experience of maybe I've gone through a difficult situation myself similar, maybe not the same, I would maybe share that and just say to them, you know, how my faith has helped me through it. But often I would just say to them, would you mind if I prayed for you? You know, and I wouldn't be praying for them maybe there and then. They, it might be uncomfortable for them. But I would just say, you know, would you mind if I remembered you in prayer? And it's so strange because uh, just even in tots when I'm there on a Thursday, often enough, out of the blue, someone would say to me, you know, I'm going through a difficult time, but don't be telling anybody because I haven't told anyone. And I find that a shock because I may be sitting amongst their friends. And recently a girl said to me that she was going through a, a difficult time. And it was just such a privilege. And I didn't even think that I had a closeness with her and for her just to share it. And so even this week, I just sent her a wee text and said, how's it going? And I'm continuing to pray for that situation. And it was just so lovely whenever they send you one back, just saying, thank you, I appreciate that. So it's just journeying with them and doing what you can. Thank you. Okay, we'll go back to a sort of apologetics type question then. So I'm gonna pitch this to Marty. Okay, so a friend asked you, did Jesus really rise from the dead? And does it matter if he did or didn't? Okay, um, so I'd start with the, the second question, does it matter if Jesus rose from the dead? And the answer is yes, it matters infinitely. And the reason it matters, Paul makes really clear. So I take them to the Bible, to, to 1 Corinthians 15, and Paul says this, he says, if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless 
and so is your faith. More than that, when we are found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, you're still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. So Paul makes a very bold claim there about the Christian faith. And he says, listen, if Jesus wasn't actually risen from the dead, if he, if he didn't rise from the dead, everything I'm preaching about is pointless. And he also says, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, your faith in Jesus is futile. It's, it's ridiculous. It's got no power. There's no point in it. So he says it's really, really important. And the reason it's important is because um, if Jesus died and didn't rise from the dead, he's no different from you and I. He was a man who died a horrible death, and that was it. But if he rose from the dead, that shows that he really did accomplish what he said he was going to do. Jesus said that he was going to die, and he said he was going to rise for our sins. And so when he rose from the dead, it proved that he really did pay for our sins on the cross. Does that make sense, first of all? It's okay if it doesn't, we can clarify. Does that make sense? Yeah, okay. So if he doesn't rise from the dead, he's just a bloke. If he doesn't rise from the dead, there's no reason to believe he died for our sins. He must have risen from the dead. And also he said he was going to rise from the dead. So if he didn't rise from the dead, he's also a liar. So it's really important, okay? Okay, Marty, we see it's important. But how can you believe such a crazy thing? It's crazy. It sounds crazy, doesn't it? People don't rise from the dead. So to help answer that, there's a little acronym. The, the word EATS, E-A-T-S, okay? So, you know, EATS, okay? So E, first of all, there's the empty tomb problem, okay? It's, it's, let's take it for granted that they believe that Jesus died, okay? Let's take it for granted they believe that he was killed on the cross, okay? And that he was buried. The problem is that there was an empty tomb on Easter morning, and no one could explain it. So if the Jews had killed him, they, or, or they, 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 they didn't want him to be alive, so they could have said, well, listen, here's his body here. You got the wrong tomb. But there was an empty tomb, and no one found the dead body. Okay, so that's the first thing. E, empty tomb. Okay? A, then, E-A, is appearances. The Bible tells us that Jesus appeared to lots and lots of different people. He appeared to the apostles, he appeared to women, and, and actually Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians that he appeared to over 500 people at once. He appeared to this big crowd of people. Now 1 Corinthians, that's probably the earliest book in the Bible that we have. So early that if you're reading 1 Corinthians at the time, you can go and ask people, you know, can, can you verify any of this? So, so A is appearances. So empty tomb, there was appearances of Jesus. The next one for me, though, is the one that, that for me is the, well, certainly maybe the biggest clincher. And at this T, and it's the transformation of the disciples. Do you remember what the disciples did after Jesus was arrested? What did they do? So he's arrested. What did they do? They scatter, yeah. They're terrified. They don't want to be associated with him. They run away, okay? Then Jesus has been killed on the cross. What do the disciples do? 
come on. Hide, yeah. They go to the upper room and they hide away. They lock themselves away. They are terrified and they're frightened. They don't want to leave the room because they know that if they leave the room, they're going to be arrested and they're probably going to be persecuted or crucified too. They're frightened. What happens though after Easter Sunday? What happens after Jesus rises from the dead? What happens after he appears for them is that they go out (laughs) and they publicly start telling people about Jesus. They go out and they are transformed. They, They go out and they share the gospel and they're beaten for it and they're persecuted for it and ultimately most of them are martyred for it. They're completely transformed. Let me tell you something. There's no way, just no way, that I would be martyred for saying something was true when it wasn't. You see, if I was one of the disciples and this was a lie and I hadn't met Jesus risen from the dead and someone said, we're gonna shoot you, we're we're gonna crucify you here if you don't tell the truth, I would just tell the truth. I'd say, no, he didn't rise from the dead, but none of them did. Right to the end, they testified that they'd risen from the dead. So EAT, and then finally, finished with S, skeptics were transformed and especially the Apostle Paul. There was a man who hated the church, who was persecuting the church, and yet the skeptic was completely transformed. So each empty tomb, appearances, transformation, and skeptics, and they're just starters, but there's lots more reasons, but we won't get into those, but they'd be where it'd start. Thank you, Marty, that was really good. Okay, so the texts have been coming in uh, thick and fast. So how do you deal with the pressure of telling someone about the gospel, possibly the first time they have heard it, and that's just out to anybody who wants to, to go for it. So, um, obviously I'm not sure, well, sorry, I'm going, I'm, I'm just oh, jumping yeah. in. Oh, I feel bad. Yeah. I just yeah. spoke for ages there. there you go. I, no, no, you can go, I can talk no. for too long. You go, 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 someone else go first though. Are we, are we? Uh, should I go then? I'll go. Go, yeah, uh, I think it's, it's really encouraging to have that heart of mm-hmm. feel the, the burden or the privilege. I, ha- I get the opportunity to tell this person about the Lord Jesus. But what I would say is it's not down on your efforts. It's not down on how well you can put together a really long argument. Just be faithful, as faithful as you can. Yes, prepare. And we have to be prepared to give a reason for the hope that we have within us. But it's not about how articulate you are. It's just say whether it's come to church or tell them, this is what really means a lot to me. You tell them that, and the Lord and his kindness could use that uh, for the glory of his name. So it's not all about how well you can do it. So trust in the Lord. Great, that's really helpful. Yeah. So remind me of the question exactly again. So how, how do you deal with the pressure uh, of telling someone about the gospel uh, and the possibility it's the first time they've heard it? Okay. And so do you want to say anything? Um, yeah, I, I probably de- the way I would deal with it is well, first of all, I probably would be praying inwardly, help, Lord. <laughs> um, but just sharing my story, really, you know, sharing what how I came to faith, uh, that would be one of the main re- you know ways I would would actually do that, and how God has changed my life. Uh, I don't know if that's the right answer or not. There's no right answer. It's just, <laughs> just your answer. You know, but. Yeah, if they asked me, you know, about about the gospel, I would just say, well, this is this is my story, and this is what happened to me. So, yeah. Yeah. First of all, if if you're at a point um, where somebody 
actually wants to hear the gospel, that's great. So actually, in some ways, the pressure is off because they're wanting to actually hear about this. So, um, and then I just think it's important to have, in your mind, to, to have, or, or in your practice, to have, to have actually have a clear way that you can present the gospel. It's important that you actually have something, a tool that you can use to actually do this well. So that could be like a tract, you know, where, where you've arranged to meet them, talking about Jesus, and, and you maybe take a tract and you just, you just literally read through the tract with them so that they get it. Or like we did in the spiritual conversations workshop, I mean, I, I have a way that I can explain the gospel kind of with some Bible verses and a diagram of a bridge. And, and if you want to come to workshop three, we can do that. I'll really help you for this. But it's, it's to be prepared by having a few tools that you can just use um, to actually share the gospel. And if you don't have any tools, it's probably good to just to have a few illustrations in mind that, that you can, you know, sometimes you have an opportunity on the spot. I, I think of, I've kind of shared before, but I think of Assad, the North Sudanese Muslim who'd never been in a church, came to Free Food Friday, came down the back here and we started talking. And, you know, I didn't have time to sit down and pull out a track, but was able to ask questions and then just explain the gospel with a few illustrations. But I think it's just having the tools and that you've, you've practiced those enough, even with your Christian friends, that, that you're ready when the time comes to, to share the gospel with someone. But I'm not sure, if someone wants to hear the gospel, the pressure's off, you know? Um, the next question is sort of a, is linked, so it's right. quite useful. So um, somebody's asked, uh, how do you start an evangelistic conversation with someone who isn't interested? So I suppose, and that sort of links in with we, what we had come up with, which was how do you transition from chatting about the weather to you know the gospel. So, um, how do we get to that place where we're talking? You know, we can actually open that evangelistic dialogue. Anyone? I went first last time, so <laughs> <laughs> just just say that again. <laughs> so, how do you start an evangelistic conversation? Yeah, I find that often enough, you know, to make that transition, it has to be smooth hmm. and not forced. And we're not out there to go up the Craigor Road or whatever, and, and everybody was saying, they say, it's a lovely day for us to say, here, hold on a wee minute, you know, let me tell you about Jesus. Because I know for a fact, if I went up the Craigor Road the next day, everybody would be avoiding me like the plague, and they'd be crossing over. So I, I often think that just going about and asking God to give you opportunities, and that transition will happen if the Holy Spirit is guiding you. And uh, so I don't really think much about it. So usually, like, you talk about the weather, but quickly it moves on anyway. And someone talks about what's happening in Ukraine or coronavirus or some other deep conversation. And that's when you can actually turn it around to say, yeah, it's awful, but I really have a faith in God which helps me. So the, the transition can be smooth, you know, but I think if we push it, then we're not, we're, we're going with the flesh and not with the spirit. And often enough, it's when, it's, un, it's the most unlikely times that you're down the road and you meet someone and maybe nine times out of 10, they've said lovely day. And this one time they say something and you walk away and you're blown because you say that was a divine appointment because the Holy Spirit, 
he was helping you and he was in it. So I don't know, I just find that I don't kind of worry about making that transition. It should be a natural thing and not forced, you know, so that's just my experience. Okay. I've got questions that still come in, but if you want to fire in there, you can. Am I off? I'm on. Um, so repeat the question again, Andy. Sorry. Well, let me go back to it. Um, I suppose it's, it's how do you start a, an evangelistic conversation or how do you move from you know, general chit-chat into something more God-focused yeah. or gospel-focused? So, one of the things that we were talking about in our training is that people generally fall into three categories. So you have people who are totally unreceptive, so they have no interest, they're quite hostile to the gospel, um, and you'll have people like that in your life, people you work with. With those people, you want to pray more than you talk, okay? So you want to pray that God softens their heart or God makes them more receptive. So you want to pray for those people. And what you want to do with those people is you simply want to chat and relate. Build a bridge of trust. Build trust with them. Build a relationship with them to the point where you're actually friends. If you try to bring the gospel across when they're really hostile, they just won't want to talk with you anymore. It, it's too much too soon. So with those people, build the bridge of trust, talking to them, chatting to them, talking about their life and praying for them. Then you'll have people who are receptive. So they're open. I mean, they're not dying to hear about the gospel yet, but they're open. When you say to go to church on Sunday, they say, all right, how was it? That was good. Okay, they're, they're open. When you say you're a Christian, they don't kind of go, oh. They're open, they're receptive. With those people, um, very often a way to, to start to engage them in spiritual conversations is just by sharing how, how Jesus is making a difference in your life. You know, so sharing, being personal, being real, just talking about your faith in a natural way. And then with those people who are really open, uh, and, and again, pray for those people that they'd be become receptive. But the people who are receptive, then we are taking the time to answer questions and to, to, um, to, to, to clarify the gospel. But I think just sharing with those people in the middle we're just trying to share very naturally the difference that Jesus makes in our life. Um, and, and if we're getting to know people well, that will come out because Jesus makes a difference in our life. Hopefully. <laughs> Hopefully. That's some ideas for me anyway. But. Yeah, no, thank you. Okay, well, I think I'm going to, we've still got quite a few questions, but maybe we'll uh, leave it here. Or we'll do one more and then we'll well, we're at 10-2. What do you, what, do you want to keep going with this as a congregation or are you fed up and you want to get home and like it's, it's, it's okay. Like what, how many more questions do you want? One, two, three, none. No. <laughs> how many more questions have you got? Andy? Um, I've got two texts. Uh, I'm sure we can leave the ones on the. Do the texts. Do the texts. Okay. Then. So uh, if it all goes well uh, and you've, uh, you've met up with someone and you've prayed with them and they've repented and believed, what do you do next? What's next? Bring them to, to church, get them plugged into a local congregation. And here, there's a great wee community. So bring them, if you're a member, bring them to Ravenhill. And ultimately, the Great Commission, it's go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Holy Spirit. And then Jesus says, teaching them to observe all the things that I've commanded you. So part of being a disciple is coming and hearing the word and seeing how do we live as Christians and being exposed to that Christian community too, so that's what I'd say, get them along to church, bring them along with you. So yeah. Go on, Angela, what would you do? One of the first things I do whenever that happens is I ask them, have they got a Bible? 
uh, because that's their, their, their life source then. And so I often would say, look, have you got access to a Bible? And, uh, you know, if they haven't, I go and get them one. And uh, then I would say to them, look, do you want any help reading that? Maybe get them a daily reading, something to help them along, or ask them, you know, say, do you want to meet up? And uh, follow through with them, just maybe meeting up for a coffee, a chat, any questions that they have. Obviously, invite them to church, or if I know of any other things that are going on, to try to just journey along with them and to, to keep them going in the faith. Uh, just to build them up. So, yeah, just really drawn alongside them, giving them a phone number, saying, look, phone me up, keeping that connection going, and uh, just asking them if they need to be discipled, you know, to go through a Bible study together, go through Mark's Gospel, something like that there, you know, one-to-one. It's always helpful, and it just helps them to... Some, some people that I meet haven't got a Bible, and they don't even know how to read the Bible, and I was speaking to someone recently and they said to me, I haven't got a Bible and I don't know how to read one. And, you know, sometimes we, we think that everybody has a Bible and we think that everybody knows how to read it. And, you know, uh, the like of their, uh, John has Gideon's Bibles and they're really helpful because at the back of them, you know, their go-tos, go-to when you're feeling down, go-to when you're feeling anxious, or whatever, and they're a great Bible to have as well when someone is just starting out as, you know, for a go-to to find somewhere. So that would just be my way of drawing alongside them. Great, thank you. Yeah, br- bring them to church and explain what's going on in church because it's weird, especially if someone's <laughs> new church background. So, um, and, and tell them it's going to be weird so that they know it's going to be weird, and then it's then when it's weird, it's not scary. But but bring them along to church. Um, I'd always try to get people connected with community with others, um, so that again they start to make friends within a church or a congregation. Um, I've gone through kind of books with people one to one, like a, a basic book for for new believers. But let me let me say this: um, if we as a congregation uh, start to evangelize and see people come into faith. Well, we, we we will move heaven and earth to make sure that there's discipleship for them, and, and I mean that. So, I mean, if we start to do this well, and we start to see people coming to Christ, we'll we'll do discipleship classes for new believers. We will we'll do whatever it takes to disciple them well, um, and we'll we'll make that work. But I think it's trying to connect them with others so they don't feel alone. Uh, connect them with the scriptures, connect them with church, and they do need some basic discipleship on on how to live for Jesus. Thank you. Okay, so last question then. So uh, the text in has said, um, how would you respond if someone asks you, how can you claim God is real or loving when I have witnessed uh, a loved one suffering or or dying painfully? Um, And I'm going to pitch that to Angela because it's very similar to the question we prepared. So well, first of all, we know that the world is full of suffering. We only have to look at our TV, to listen to the radio, uh, social media. Everywhere there is suffering, and it's so hard. And I think if we're honest, that nearly, I think all of us have experienced suffering in some shape or form. Whether it's, uh, you know, whatever degree it is, we, we've experienced it. So I would say if someone said to me, you know, how, do, how can you believe a God or a loving God 
in a world full of suffering. For me, uh, in a broken world, it, it makes sense that I believe in God because um, it makes sense of suffering. As a Christian, I go back to Genesis, to when it was all good and there was no suffering. And uh, then we see how sin entered in and the world became broken. And the consequences of sin is death. And then as we, if we read the scriptures, it goes on to say how just sin escalates. And now we are in a, a world full of suffering. And you know, I would also say to them uh, that even as Christians, we suffer. And I think, they, I think some people that aren't Christians, they think that we're exempt from it. And one of the greatest apologists is C.S. Lewis. And I love a wee book I've got, and it's called The Grief Observed. And C.S. Lewis, whenever he uh, married late in life, his wife died suddenly of cancer. And he was just, you know, full of grief. And, you know, beyond uh, this great apologist, you know, shouted out to God, you know, where are you in my hour of need? And he said that he felt that God had shut the door on him and bolted it twice. And that even gave me comfort because what it's saying is it's normal at times of suffering to even ask why we are suffering. But we still have to look to scripture. And even the psalmist cries out in a national level, why do the nations rage? Or we, we see him uh, crying out to God, how long must I suffer? Or why is my soul downcast? So suffering is a normal part of life. And our natural response to it is, is why is it happening? And why are you letting it happen? So we know that the reason why it is happening is because of sin. But the reason why God is, is you know, even Jesus Christ himself came into this world to save us and he suffered for us as a brutal death. But, you know, one of the verses in the Bible that I love is in Revelation 21. I'm just going to read it. And it says, and this, is, and this is our hope in a world full of suffering. It said, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. And then he sat on the throne and said, Behold, I will make all things new. And you know, in a world full of suffering, we have this hope as a Christian that God in his timing will put an end to the suffering, but it's in his timing. And that's a great hope that we've got, that verse. So I hope that kind of answers the question. Um, anything you guys want to chip in with? or? Yeah, I think whenever someone asks, if, they are, if they're asking you about suffering, um, how you answer it depends where they're sitting. Okay? And, and what I mean by that is, people when they ask about suffering, they could be sitting in a wheelchair or sitting in an armchair. So if they're sitting in an armchair, they're wanting you know, a logical kind of debate type of answer. If they're sitting in a wheelchair, that's not what they're looking for. Um, someone who is going through suffering doesn't need to hear really all the logical, reasonable arguments of why God can still be good and loving 
and let suffering happen. They don't need to hear that. What they need to hear is that God understands suffering, that God understands their suffering, and that God invites them to bring their pain to him, and that God says that he will walk with them. And so it's just really important, you know, if you're with someone and they're asking about suffering and, and they're going through an awful time, they do not need your like nice logical explanation of how God can still be good and loving and let suffering happen. What they need to know is that God loves them and that God is with them and that they can bring their suffering to him. Um, and then if we want to do the big logical argument with someone else, we can do that. There are logical reasons which we can talk about some other time but just it's important to just to clarify who you're who's asking you know okay thank you okay so um thank you guys for all, all your answers um